Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to today's podcast of Believe in Chef Special on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I am your host, Patrick Honeywell. Today's special guest is pastry chef Jimmy McMillan, the founder of Pastry Virtuosity, a Chicago-based coaching, consulting, and business solutions company. Besides being an amazing pastry chef, Jimmy also spearheads and produces the Emmy Award-winning Chicago Restaurant Pastry Competition and is a James Beard Award semifinalist for Outstanding Pastry Chef. Chef Jimmy McMillan, thank you so much for coming today and joining me on the show. Hey, Patrick. I'm super happy to be here and excited to talk about some cool stuff today and just kind of hang out. Sounds good to me. It's perfect. So you've got a really great background in pastry and a lot of different aspects. I think I read somewhere that you were the pastry triple threat, highly acclaimed pastry chef, custom mold desserts, and award-winning video producer. So you've got a lot going on. Maybe you could walk us through a little bit of your history as a pastry chef. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, Definitely, like a lot of chefs, have a lot going on. For me, it's sort of, you could say triple threat, or you could say quadruple threat. What it really comes down to is I have a terrible elevator pitch. I could not (laughs) in 30 seconds or 60 seconds tell anyone all the wonderful things I could do for them, you know, Mm -hmm. to help them or things that I have learned over the years. But what it kind of comes down to is my approach has been to handle materials, dessert materials, in such a way that it's really exciting for diners in such a way that uh, it continues to give me the passion to continue to work in that field versus just saying, hey, I make desserts. And to support that, I've done a lot of video and you know, audio work, storytelling, writing for magazines. So really, this is just a way to broadcast the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the end of the day, it really starts with a good design. So a good pastry chef is a good designer as well. And when you start with a good design, you couple that with some great ingredients and add some technology to, to broadcast and tell that story, you kind of end up with that triple threat kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Or quadruple in your case, or more now, right? <laughs> or, or, or more, yeah. But you know, I, I never want to be the jack of all trades and master of none. So I think what's important to understand is this level of experience happened over many, many years and like trying to master one thing before moving on to the next thing. So, you know, it's easy as a as a chef to get excited about everything. You want to do everything. And yeah, you kind of end up not being great at, great at any one thing because the field is so deep, the mm-hmm. amount of education you need to be great at anything. So I definitely respect and encourage chefs to dive into, you know, chocolate work or be a great, you know, cake maker, be a great person that deals with confections and sugars and marshmallow, those things, and then move on to the next thing rather than just try to take it all on at once. Uh, Certainly it'll fail. But if you do that one at a time, learn some expertise, go study with the best person in the field that you know that does that, or you heard about, that you read about, that you see, and learn everything you can from that person before you move on. I think that's a recipe for success. Great advice. So how about yourself, Chef? When did you start out or where did you begin and what uh, drove you to get into the pastry side of the world? Well, I wasn't Patrick in pastry at all to begin with. I was in the music business. I mm. had always wanted to be a magis- magician now. As a musician, yeah, musician. You were going to uh, be a, a magician-musician, which I think is a great combination. 
Yeah, sometimes we used to call them magicians, which is sort of what <laughs> came into my mind when we came back in the I day. We're it. like, you know, someone like a Jimi, Jimi Hendrix, where you look at it, you're like, how do they even do that, right? Mm. So in my music career, basically, as a teenager, I just wanted to play in bands. And even when I was underage, sorry, mom, and I would play in some clubs and sneak out and mm. kind of get that opportunity to play you know, music, well, rock music, jazz music, what was then the kind of underground and, mm-hmm. you know, things like Sonic Youth or things that are a little bit punk rock or a lot of bit punk rock and just kind of combining all these styles. So it kind of makes sense that in my chef life, I kind of do the same thing and all the streams have run together and what's classic and contemporary. But, you know, back to how I got into all this, I was playing music and traveling and would be on the road for three, four months at a time, get off the road. And the only place I could really work would be a restaurant or a bakery and have that work every time and have them be happy to kind of come on for the busy season. I was always in the winter time, you know, I was off the road and that's busy holiday season. So we all know that basically I started working nicer, nicer places. A friend of mine was working at four seasons. I had moved down to Texas because in all my travels, going to all these cool cities. Austin at the time was one of the cooler places. If you've ever been, Mm -hmm. you know, shout out to Austin, Texas, one of the coolest places on the planet. Mm -hmm. I basically moved down there to play music and ended up working in a lot of restaurants and had gotten pretty good at the restaurant game cooking and that started working at some bakeries. And my friend was working at Four Seasons said, Hey, you know, I'm going to quit my job tomorrow and the chef's going to be really upset with me. And I wondered if you wouldn't mind going over there and maybe interview. I know you do some desserts. Maybe if they're looking for a pastry people, if you get involved with them, they won't be so mad at me. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'll see what I can do, buddy. You know, And I went <laughs> over there and interviewed, got hired on the spot. And that was really my official introduction to how cool you know, composed dessert could be, mm-hmm. plated dessert, making chocolate showpieces, a whole, a whole pastry world kind of opened up for me. And that was a great company to be in. I was able to get more you know, mentorship for sure, travel to some other four season properties. I ended up going to Seattle to be the pastry chef there when it was, it's now a fair amount. It was actually a a four block, huge, you know, 500 room hotel, 100,000 square feet of banquet space. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now they have a smaller property they built, you know, closer to the waterfront. Mm -hmm. But at that time, that was exciting to me to just find a field that took arts and sciences and, you know, tastes good and the materials were really interesting and you know where chocolate comes from and how you design and compose a plate of dessert. This was so much stuff going on with that. It was really something I could pour myself into. And uh, in the music business is tough, right? And mm. I didn't really want to stay on the road back and forth. Record deals are difficult at that time. You have a, a lot of complications with that. It was hard to make a lot of money and have savings and you're gone. Here's a pastry chef. I thought, you know, I can do a lot of things. I love combine them together mm-hmm. and have a pretty good life. So uh, it's seemed to work out that way. And I really appreciate the the pastry field for, you know, giving me that opportunity for a good life. Well, let me ask you uh, quickly, because I love music and I play a little bit myself for fun. Like you mentioned, it's, it's difficult to make a living doing it or to count on it. But what instrument do you play or instruments? Well, my main instrument was really guitar. I love guitar from an early age. And I used to build my own guitars and uh, mm-hmm. oh. had a neighbor next door who would paint motorcycle engines and that. And I'd get him to paint my guitars. Mm-hmm. And there was some like what we'd call guitar chop shops. I don't see much of those around mm-hmm. anymore, but you had a lot of places you could get used pieces mm-hmm. and build your own. So that was kind of the project of it. It was pretty exciting. 
I also play drums. It's something I love doing. It's probably the instrument I love to play the most. I, I won't say I'm the best at it, but certainly gotten better over the years, but it just feels good. Mm. Very visceral. It's got mm-hmm. lots of energy. And then I play trumpet. That was actually my first instrument playing in school band, mm-hmm. but I ended up when I was touring, I'd have the guitar. I'd sang for the band as well. And I wrote songs and then, uh, I'd use a pocket trumpet, kind of like Don Cherry, if you're familiar with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a jazz trumpet player, but he has a little pocket trumpet. Mm. So smaller trumpet um, has a nice, nice tone to it. And I used to play guitar, really noisy stuff, and then let that subside, some <laughs> nice cool out beats, and then play a pocket trumpet over the top of it. You know, I love trumpet. I think the first trumpet player I listened to was Freddie Hubbard in the old days. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Jazz guy. So you play kind of rock guitar, but you love uh, jazz type uh, music too. So one last question on music. Favorite guitar players, was it Hendrix? Did you listen to Al DiMiola? Who were you following? Yeah, a lot. You know, Jimi Hendrix is probably my favorite guitar player of all time, but also, you know, Carlos Santana. Uh, there's so many in the jazz world, you know, John McLaughlin. Mm-hmm. When it comes to guitar, you know, maybe Sonny Chirac is sort of my jazz rock combo favorite. Mm. And a lot of the musicians that played around like the free jazz movement i really like that kind of guitar playing it's just sonics definitely has to be good instrumentation but i like that sonic you know amazing tone and and just that that again that freedom of energy that you get from from a really elevated guitar playing mm, i love it i love it hey a quick shout out for my uh, cousin john Weisenstam. he has uh, it's called the guitar life it's a podcast on the Believe Podcast Network as well. So he's a great player, good instructor too. So maybe get you two together one day. That'd be fun. Yeah, I have to check out that podcast. Sounds awesome. Let's talk a bit, if we can, about pastry virtuosity. I've been studying your company a little bit. And again, I think, I think to myself, where were you 20 years ago when I could use you? Because... In the field of pastry, there's a lot of different types of pastry cooks, pastry chefs. You might lean one direction if you're artistic and you might be more of a, you know, just power through banquets and just, you know, simple things. Let's talk about that company and what you do. Well, yeah, it's a good point. Pastry Virtuosity is my brand. I mean, it's basically, it's Mm -hmm. Jimmy McMillan Pastry Virtuosity. And that is my coaching and consulting with a mission of inspiring and improving dessert businesses basically one project at a time and coaching and assisting pastry chefs of all level. Basically, I saw the need is the main thing. And I I had been doing so much in different fields. I was, you know, as you know, more of a high-end pastry chef with the Four Seasons and Peninsula Hotel. And Mm -hmm. we have a upscale, very cool grocery brand here, Mariano's. And the owner, Bob Mariano, said, hey, you know, I'd love it if you would come and be the director of bakery over these 50 stores. And I knew I didn't belong there at all. It's not a good place for a pastry chef like me. And so I thought, but I also thought it'd be really educational to see how retail grocery worked and kind of understand why retail grocery, uh, at least in the United States, isn't better. Like, why can't I get amazing food at a grocery store? And what I learned is that everybody shops at grocery. It's an amazing opportunity to touch the whole population. So in the high-end hotels, pretty much just touching a very small part of the population here. I was able to like have an effect, but the wins were, were harder to get. And, you know, some people have pennies to spend on groceries. Some people have dollars. So it was a complicated model, but it helped me understand how to connect the manufacturers, the distributors and the customers. 
So that was really important to me. So pastry virtuosity is that on the business side, but what I really wake up for every day is to serve pastry chefs like myself and help them. I've had the benefit of having these other experiences, not in the pastry field to, you know, contribute to my success. So I always felt that I did better than than other pastry chefs and, and colleagues because I could bring more to the table. I could mm-hmm. have one program and then do 10 programs and keep adding on and adding on and adding on. And I had a lot of strategies for success in those environments. We know those are pressure cookers, especially at the highest level. You're trying to get Michelin stars and trying to get local accolades. You're trying to get national accolades. And if you don't hit those benchmarks, it's really disappointing and has a a negative effect on the business. So when you're under that kind of pressure and you're trying to learn, many pastry chefs become executive pastry chefs before they're ready. They're not Mm -hmm. able to lead because once I always felt you become number one, your opportunity to learn is a little bit diminished because you're now responsible for the learning, success, and education of those people that report to you. So pastry virtuosity is my way of being able to impart some of that. I think now you could probably learn how to make a a macaron or a chocolate dessert or a bonbon by just going online and doing a couple searches. So you might be able to make a better one if you find the best teacher, like I talked about earlier, but you probably still could make a pretty good one. Information's much easier to come by now more than ever, but the understanding and the ability to motivate yourself to get to the highest level of potential, to pivot at difficult times, to increase your marketability, you know, and and your value in the marketplace. People don't really teach you that in culinary school. So pastry virtuosity on the chef side is contributing to the success of pastry chefs. You know, I think it's really important now too, chef, there's a lot of pivots going on, you know, in business. You mentioned the grocery stores. You could be a pastry chef, at a hotel or, or anywhere, even a wholesale company. And then maybe things get kind of crazy and you, you maybe lose your position or to keep your position, you need, you need to know how to make products that will fit into the grocery uh, retail side. Because as you mentioned, people are always shopping at grocery stores. It's always going to be there. So there's positions for pastry chefs with wholesale companies or even themselves directly to make a pivot to survive in today's environment. Absolutely. And there's so many things. And sometimes we think, well, I'm this kind of chef. And, you know, I certainly was that way at, at some point in my career where I thought I really want to only work in, you know, five star, five diamond places. I have to, I can't work something else. It's not going to be good for my career, but really, you know, I can test recipes. You could be a bakery or cake shop owner. You could work in food technology. You could be a personal or private chef. You could be a writer now and, and just really think about being a cookbook author or, you know, being closer to the farming industry or, to commercial food suppliers. Now, a lot of commercial food suppliers have very quality products in the bakery area. You see more and more organic, you see more and more high quality European and you know interesting style of pastry that you don't have to feel attached to one segment of the industry. Because if you were just someone that said, hey, I only wanna work in restaurants, right now that could be a big problem for you, like you pointed out. So. I think the more we can broaden our horizons, be flexible, flexibility is the key to success, you know, still have your standards, but really open up to what pivots are available to you. Well, let me ask you about a pivot that I started to consider a little bit. You have, you're an award-winning video producer. I think you've won an Emmy Award for producing a video? Yeah, we have actually five Emmys for our Chicago Restaurant Pastry Competition. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so that's for a competition. So that means you know all about that. Let's say a pastry chef decides to do a YouTube channel or wants to promote a company and wants to do uh, even a video that they can put on, tie to a website, a company website. Are you available consulting to do that as well? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we have a couple of things going on. If you go to our website at pastryvirtuosity.com and you can look, mm-hmm. we have a pastry chef expansion challenge. That's five one hour, once a week live streamed classes essentially, but there's a replay so you can kind of catch that anytime and and rewatch it. And then there's 30 minutes of coaching in between that. And what that covers is how to pivot like we're talking about. And we also do a little bit of mini video editing. We go through all the channels, basically taking your platform as a brand, as a chef and a brand and refreshing that. And we get into video there. Uh, We also have another class on how to be your own publicist. And that could involve a bit the video as well. I can be hired on to make short videos, but one one thing that's important on the chef side is to teach people how to do their own. So, you know, the first time around they're doing it with you. And the second time, you know, they won't need you. Like you've taught someone, you know, how to broadcast their own brand. So you can meet with a pastry chef and do an assessment on he or she is going in their life and help them with their plan moving forward. And you can also help them do a video for YouTube. Yeah. You know, if you think about these things bundle well together, and I'll tell you how we got into that. Initially, you know, I would make our desserts and we'd always have the need for good photography. And what I started to realize early on is that when the photographer takes your photos, you don't own any of that art, even though it was your IP, your dessert, and it took, might've taken months, it might've taken you know, year to come up with that design and concept. It might be something you've had for several years, but as soon as a photographer takes that picture, he owns the rights to the the image of it. So we really early on uh, wanted to, and this might be just having that experience in the music business, but if I put all that effort and work into the design and producing the dessert, I'd like to own the images of it as well so that I could be in control of how that image is portrayed and where it goes. So yeah, it's correct. At Pastry Virtuosity, you could be a small sweets business or a large sweets business or a pastry chef, and we could sit and assess where you're at, kind of help with a pivot. And then instead of then having to go out and hire a photographer and hire a videographer to help broadcast you know, your success for the brand or launch you know, your new items, we could bundle that together. So again, we're teaching that whole process where we have, we're kind of programmed that you know, you have to go outside for this. And, and it's true. You want the experts to do the expert thing. So if you need the most important, you know, campaign of your life, you may want to hire an independent photographer for that. But for your day-to-day operations that you're going to need, you know, 52 videos or 152 videos just to keep broadcasting and selling online what you do, you need to be able to learn how to do that in-house. And we assist uh, sweet businesses and pastry chefs on how to do that. I'm thinking, let's dig in a little bit. You've got a huge background as an executive pastry chef doing very fancy desserts and and showpieces. I'm not going to ask you to teach our listening audience how to make a showpiece, but if you can share maybe a dessert, something that we would like to make, but can be made at home. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing I'm passionate about that I think probably everybody loves is sandwich cookies. Mm, Definitely. Sandwich cookies is actually something that's really built into our culture, whether it's like a popular 
you know, that popular chocolate cookie with the cream filling that we all know, <laughs> or whether it's something a little more upscale, like one of those round cookies you see in the grocery store, the chocolate in the middle, they're kind of oval cookies. They're all mm-hmm. kind of based in some kind of classics. So I thought, you know, it'd be cool to make great versions, simple, but really touch on those shapes and flavors that are really known in the American palate. And mm-hmm. then I think we're going to gift these during the holidays and, and send them out to people. And I think it will be cool for them to see, you know, upscale and creative versions, but simple things mm-hmm. they could all make these Definitely. different sandwich cookies. So Chef Jimmy, go ahead and tell us a little bit about what we're going to make today in the kitchen. Well, we're going to make my version of a Milano cookie. It's one of my favorite sandwich cookie and it kind of opens up the possibility for many different, you know, fillings and, and many different finishings. But we're going to do really the straight up Milano cookie that I always make. If you think ahead the day before, we're going to make a nice ganache. You see the recipe here. And we're going to let that sit overnight so that we can use that for our filling. Then we're going to scale up our ingredients for the cookie. We're going to make mm-hmm. sure that we get the proper tip and piping bag. We're going to get out a pan with a sill pad if you have a silicone mat. If not, a parchment will do. And then with our scaled ingredients here, if you look into the recipe, we're going to dive in and make a cookie. And you'll notice this is probably one of the most simple recipes as far as cookies go. Really, we're just going to cream the butter, add the sugar, add all the rest of the ingredients, add the dry ingredients, and just make the most simple cookie you've ever made, really clean. And you don't want to overmix it. You want it to be soft enough to pipe because that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to pipe that customary Milano shape. If you want to make it easier, you can draw out the ovals on a parchment and place a parchment over the top of it. But I just go ahead on the silicone mat and I wouldn't worry too much if they're all a little bit different. You know, there's something that's great about homemade stuff is that it's fresh. And even if it's a little bit, let's say handcrafted, it's okay. (laughs) Just try your best to make that shape. But here's where the trick comes in. Now we have our dough and we're going to put that into the bag with the tip. This is a plain tip. You could do it with the star tip has a different look, but I want to go with that classic Milano shape. And we're going to pipe really carefully, holding it just above, just above that silicone mat. And we're going to pipe and let the cookie batter come away from the side of the tip to start to make that oval shape. And you see we're pulling it back a little bit. And then the real trick is at the end, we want it to be round on both sides. I'm going to make sure it's even. We don't want you know, two snake heads. We don't want it to look like a figure eight or anything like that. So we're going to go mm-hmm. real even. We're going to pipe about three and a quarter inches. And then we're going to stop piping and pull back and use that one outer edge of the tip to cut off the cookie and leave that rounded on the other side as well. So what you ended up with, all that explanation is really an oval cookie that's not too flat. We don't hold it so it just rounds on the edges. And they're just going to do that again and again and again. This recipe makes about two dozen cookies when we're done. You know, when you make sandwich cookies, a good thing to keep in mind is you need to make double the cookies because every every two cookies is really one when we sandwich it. So we're going to go ahead and bake that off. And we bake those until they're what we call golden brown delicious, GBD. Uh, But basically, they're a little bit golden brown on the outside. Everybody's ovens are a little different. And if you ask any pastry chef, you know, when something's done, you really can't ever just put a time on it. But we have a little time in there as a guideline in the recipe. But when it's GBD and it's a little bit brown on the outside, essentially this is like a shortbread cookie. I'm going to cool it all the way. And we'll turn those ovals over. It's perfectly cooled. And we'll take the ganache we made yesterday and put that in a piping bag. And we're going to put a small amount, just kind of a line down the center of every other cookie. Mm-hmm. Remember, we're sandwiching them. And then we'll sandwich, put the other half on top, press them like so. And I usually chill those for a few minutes. 
and take some of that same ganache that we piped and we're going to melt that carefully in the microwave is fine and something that's not too wide, something that's shallow we can dip into. And we're going to dip each cookie at a diagonal and kind of get a little extra finishing on there to make that something that is a little bit more of a, a pastry chef design. And then let those cool for a little bit of extra finesse. You know, you can find some white compound chocolate or some white uh, decorative chocolate. This is perfect for this. So we're just going to put a little line between the cookie and that diagonal ganache that we dipped. And just for that little bit of finesse, let that cool as well. And then these really last well, these cookies at room temperature, you, you could refrigerate them. I wouldn't freeze them after they're dipped. If you want to work ahead, you can freeze the cookies uh, without filling, just baked in a little to-go container or Tupperware. Wrap that outside of that in plastic wrap. You can freeze it. And then just remember when you go to make the cookies, make the ganache the day before so it's nice and soft. Lay out the cookies from the freezer. Let them come to room temperature. And then you can do that process. Uh, and that's a good way to get ahead for, say, the holidays. And we're not that far away. I know mm. we're just getting into October, but before we know it, we'll be making Christmas cookies. So this could be a Christmas cookie for everyone to make. It sounds fantastic. And for the listening audience to know, when you do listen to this podcast, look down below on the show notes. The recipe will be printed right there so you can look at it as he's speaking. It's really easy to make. And once you get used to making the sandwich cookies, you won't want a single layer cookie ever again. Oh my gosh. So that's pretty cool. And I'm thinking, you know, with my background in pastry, wow, there's so many things you could do with that. And everything is very simple, but really, really nice and can be elegant you know, with a little bit of design and things. So that sounds really good. So uh, Chef, let us know and let the audience know maybe some contact information for you if they want to follow you, find you, talk more about Pastry Virtuosity. Yeah, Pastry Virtuosity. I'm pretty easy to find again at Jimmy MacMillan on everything. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. And also, you know, just send me a message. I'm on LinkedIn. You know, you'll find me all over. I try to stay active and promote for chefs to be really active on all the channels. Sometimes we forget about platforms like LinkedIn, but I'll tell you, there's more business to be had by just continuing to reach out and build relationships. And if you want to reach out to me, I'm here. Send me a message and uh, let's connect. Sounds great. Sounds great. Well, Chef Jimmy, I appreciate your time today and really, really happy to have you. So thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Patrick. I was really excited to be here. I love the conversation and good luck with all of this on the podcast. For all of you listening out there, Chef Special is part of the Believe Podcast Network. Check it out at Believe.com. And follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Patrick Honeywell. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.